care who you are, where you're from. This right here is the land of opportunity. This is America. This is obscene. It was obscene. In the normal world. Who the fuck wanted to live there? <laughs> the real question is this. Is all this legal? Absolutely fucking not. So you listen to me and you listen well. Are you behind on your credit card bills? Go on, pick up the phone and start dialing. Is your landlord ready to evict you? Good. Pick up the phone and start dialing. Does your girlfriend think you're a fucking worthless loser? Good. Pick up the phone and start dialing. I want you to deal with your problems by becoming rich. Welcome back to the Film 89 Podcast. This is episode 95. I'm Sky. I'm Steve. And joining Steve and I tonight for the second episode in a row is podcaster and cinephile extraordinaire, Mr. Leighton Winston. Leighton, two in a row for you, sir. Oh, I'm so lucky. I really, really am. (laughs) (laughs) So privileged. (laughs) It was about a week ago, wasn't it, that we did uh, Scarface and Carlito's Way? I know. And now look at us again. That was a quick turnaround. Here we are again talking about people taking lots of drugs. <laughs> <laughs> it's a theme here. Because, it? of course, tonight's episode, we are going to be discussing another film from a director we've already covered several times on Film 89, and one who, without a doubt, would be on the Mount Rushmore of directors for all three of us. It's Martin Scorsese. Uh, so far, we've dedicated episodes to Taxi Driver, Goodfellas, Casino, and The Irishman. And tonight, we're seeing the maturity of a 10-year investment. Or, in other words, it's coming up on the 10th anniversary of The Wolf of Wall Street, which, it's hard to believe, guys, was released a decade ago. Can you believe it? I know. It's like, it was another world back then. It was just after the financial crack, yeah. crash. It was, uh, we were just recovering. Yeah. COVID hadn't happened yet. No, we were we didn't, We'd never that. heard of it. Crikey, I know. And look what's happened there. I know, look at the world now. We're back in another shitty financial global situation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but this one caused by something different entirely. I recall during the build-up to the release of The Wolf of Wall Street that people were wondering where Scorsese was going to go with this adaptation of Jordan Belfort's book. Was he entering Oliver Stone territory? And, and would this film you know, kind of be like an indictment or, or an endorsement of this world of, of like excessive greed, this world of selling junk bonds? But as it turns out, you could argue it was very familiar territory for him because much like Goodfellas a Casino, it's the rise of a man who operates in a world that's far from decent and wholesome and the film charts, well, as the book did, charts his rise to the top and then his fall as everything he's built up on a, you know, a foundation of immorality crumbles beneath him. Screenwriter Terence Winter. Now, he'd been a writer on The Sopranos and he adapted The Wolf of Wall Street from Jordan Belfort's 2007 book into an early draft script six years before the film eventually got made. Alan Horn, the head of Warner Brothers, read the script, having bought it for Scorsese to direct. But Horn was apparently horrified by all the drug use and debauchery. Scorsese then moved on to do Shutter Island and Hugo, and Winter also worked on Boardwalk Empire with Scorsese, and a few years after Winter had initially written the early draft script, Red Granite Productions, who will come to later, contacted Winter with a view to making it into a film with Scorsese directing, and Leonardo DiCaprio in the lead role. Either of you read the book, guys? No, I haven't, no. 
No, I haven't. No, no. Yeah, I've I've been tempted to seek it out, but I haven't read the book. But the book is is going to be because it's based on true story, or at least his interpretation of his mm-hmm. own story. I think that you know it, it's far removed from you know um, the fiction yeah. of Joe's. No, what I have read lately, and I don't know if if Leighton you've come across this as well, is that a lot of the stuff in Belfort's book has apparently been debunked in the last few years. But then I've also heard that the FBI guy who eventually arrested Belfort told Terence Winter that everything in Belfort's book pretty much happened. So who do you believe? Well, it's the classic case of the unreliable narrator again. Oh, 100%. And least we forget that the man was um, constantly under the influence. Well, as he repeats a couple of times in the film, he never wants to die sober. From that perspective, then, I imagine that from a dramatic sense, things probably were exaggerated. There's, there's, there's a query about the plane crash being real or not. Yeah, the, the, when he's on the boat, isn't it? That, yeah, the plane yeah. that was going to come to uh, pick him up yeah. blows up in the mid-flight. That's I, right. I yeah. think it's worth pointing out, though, even when he wasn't under the influence, he was still a very unreliable narrator. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, well, he, he was a liar as well, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he was. <laughs> so, you know, so from that perspective, then, it, it's give or take. It's, it's much like you, the previously mentioned Irishman. There's things mentioned in the book that weren't in the film, but they were alluded to, hmm. um, which may or may not have happened. So, you know, it's interpretation, isn't it? And, yeah, every, you know, every screenwriter when they adapt something, unless they're adapting their own material and it's autobiographical, then it's, it's going to have an embellishment from a dramatic purpose. Of course it is. Yeah, sure. Now this marked the first time that Scorsese would work with cinematographer Rodrigo Prieto, who he'd work with again on one of your favourite films, Steve Silence, and also on The Irishman. Now the film, and I think it's only on this recent rewatch that I've noticed this. It's got a look that is equal parts shabby seedy and flashy but what it's also got is like this really dialed up color palette which kind of points at the garish excesses of the film's late 80s and early 90s setting but it also makes everyone look super tanned (laughs) 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 and it's it's what's been called um, a hybrid film in that it was shot both digitally and on 35mm, although it was released into theatres by Paramount digitally and not in the 35mm format. Mm. I, I thought Scorsese did it all digitally. No, I, I no. Thought, I thought I'd, I'd portions of, all... Portions of it were, were shot on film. Right, right. What portions they were, I, I, I don't think if, know. If, if it was special effects involved, it was digital, I believe, yeah. and if otherwise it was film. I knew there yeah, are quite think, a bit of special effects yeah, in this film. There was over 400 special effects yeah. shots. But I think it was Thelma Schoonmaker who actually tried to get him to film it on film as right. much as he could. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the film begins with a fake commercial for Stratton Oakmont, narrated by Edward Herman, and much like the fake commercials seen in Goodfellas for Maury's wigs. <laughs> uh, now, Maury's from, wigs don't come off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you've got to say from, from this From this opening, <laughs> we know what kind of ride we're in for when we hear Leonardo DiCaprio's narration and we see a red Ferrari, which he then corrects mid-scene to show it that it was in fact a white Ferrari, and we see the colour of the car change as it's driving along the freeway. Now, that's the only kind of little thing like this in his narration where he kind of, no, actually, it was, you know, he's correcting himself, but the fact that we see it on screen as well, I don't know, for me, that kind of sets out the sort of story we're going to be told here, and like you just said, Leighton, unreliable narrator. It's done purposefully, isn't it? it it's like, there's, there's about four or five different filming styles, uh, alluding back to what you were saying about the way that the film yeah. is shot. Like, with the, the infomercial uh, start in the, to set up what the business is and all the rest. 
But then as it goes then into like nightclub scenes where everything's blurry, you know, it's chaotic and it's, you know, it's somebody under the influence. It sets its stall out, doesn't it? That, yeah. You know, from the off, there's a story being told that might be true, might not be true. But the thing is, the Jordan Belfort is is a deplorable character overall, isn't it? So yeah. everything that he does say, you should really take with a pinch of salt because his, his endgame ultimately is... He wants to line his coffers. He wants to make as much money as possible. And he doesn't care what the outcome is to other people. As long as he thinks he's right, then he's right. Yeah, yeah. And there's a link from last week's show as well, because we were talking about last week how Scarface influenced Miami Vice. Whereas in this, the reason he's got a white Ferrari is because of Don Johnson in Miami Vice. Yeah, 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 yeah. So so in this this introduction now, this this kind of narrated introduction, we see Belfort's debauchery with hookers, his excessive drug taking, which is laid out in forensic detail. And we get the sense that Belfort is the author of this tale, told from his point of view. And as the film goes on, I think the the reliability of his narration is more brought into question, especially when his addiction spiral out of control. Oh, absolutely. Like you said, the thing with the plane. It seems so ridiculous, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, that could just be something that did happen at another time. Yeah. And he's just got them all to mix yeah. up because his brain addled yeah. mind. Yeah, exactly. You know? yeah. yeah, and at that part as well, is, I don't know whether you've noticed it on the rewatches. Rewatch yes, he, he says about when you get rescued by the Italian Navy, they're great hosts, they feed you, they give you red wine, they play music, everybody's having a good time. Jordan couldn't have been the only person to have seen that plane explode, no, exactly. surely. Yeah. So hence the questionable reliability of his um, yeah. recall, shall we say. So... And then after that, we go back to Belfort's beginnings on Wall Street as this, well, as a rookie, really building up to earning his broker credentials. And this then we meet Matthew McConaughey as Mark Hanna. And I think one of the all-time great cameos, I'll, I'll call it a cameo, because his screen time in comparison to the three-hour runtime is small. But God damn it, he makes a huge mark in the film. There's two keys to success in the broker business. First of all, you gotta stay relaxed. Yeah. You jerk off? Do I, do I jerk off? Yeah. Yeah, I jerk off, yeah. How many times a week? Like, um, three, three, four, three or four times, maybe. I gotta pump those numbers up. Those are rookie numbers in this racket. I, myself, I jerk off at least twice a day. Wow. Once in the morning, right after I work out, and then once right after lunch. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay? I want to. That's not why I do it. I do it because I fucking need to. Think mm-hmm. about it. You're dealing with numbers all day long. Mm-hmm. Decimal points, high frequencies, bang, bang, bang. <laughs> fucking digits. <laughs> all very acidic, above the shoulders, mustard shit. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. It kind of wake some people out. Mm-hmm. Right? You got to feed the geese to keep the blood flowing. Mm-hmm. I keep the rhythm below the belt. Done. This is not a tip. This is a prescription. Trust me. Mm-hmm. If you don't, you will fall out of balance, split your differential, and tip the fuck over. Or worse yet, I've seen this happen, implode. No, I don't want to implode, sir. No. No, no you don't. I'm in it for the long run, you know? Yeah, implosions are ugly. Yeah. Pop off to the bathroom, work one out anytime you can, and when you get really good at it, you'll fucking be stroking it, and you'll be thinking about money. Second key to success in this racket is this little baby right here. It's called cocaine. Right. It will keep you sharp between the ears. It'll also help your fingers dial faster. And guess what? That's good for me. Yes, sir. 
four minutes. He's in the film for four minutes. Is that all? Is that all it is? Which includes his speech at the at the dinner table with the uh, you know one and one half martinis, absolute martinis. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you know the the chest beating and everything, and you know that iconic rhythm and um, mantra that's sold later on in the film, isn't it? Yeah. But four minutes, and he gets fourth billing in the film. It's phenomenal and he sums up the mantra of the whole film when he says uh, the name of the game moving the money from the client's pocket into your pocket and the choice the choice of bad wig is superb (laughs) it's inspired he looks like a like a a mushroom from like the super mario games doesn't he the shape of his head is perfect now that that tribal chest beat thing he does that was a genuine mcconaughey acting warm-up exercise that he uses Scorsese's legendary editor, Thelma Schoolmaker, she's described how important to the film this lunch scene with DiCaprio and McConaughey is because, you know, like you say, it sets out the stall of the mantra of the thing that these guys are going to do. And it, it was supposed to be set in the windows on the World Restaurant and the World Trade Centre, which obviously they weren't able to film in for real. And the fact that, apart from that brief scene in the following scene, which is there, we don't see Hannah after this in the film. Which gives no. this role all the more heft in a way. He's like he's like a Jedi master instilling his wisdom into Belfort. Yeah. Yeah. That you know, that entire speech by Hannah is just golden. Well, you know you know the part when um DiCaprio looks like he's looking around the room as McConaughey is doing what he's doing. Yeah. He's actually looking at Martin Scorsese. Yeah. So because what, 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 what's this Martin? Is it this yeah, isn't in yeah. the script? Yeah, and it is a case of as McConaughey's priest, he does it in everything apparently, and apparently to get himself riled into, he does this thing, and they were filming, and DiCaprio was looking for assurance from Scorsese that this was all right to carry on, and that's yeah. how it, it just enveloped and, be, as Steve said, quite rightly, it becomes it's the algorithm of the film. Yeah, yeah, it? yeah, yeah, it is. So. <laughs> Yet again, a little aside just dictates the rest of the film. Hmm. See, we've seen it a hundred million times, but yet again, something inspired just does the right thing for the for the rest of the duration. Brilliant. And then we have the October nineteenth, nineteen eighty seven Black Monday, the big stock market crash. Now, essentially, the stock market as depicted here, it's just cold calling tally sales, isn't it? That's essentially what these people are doing. And and Belfort, in the wake of Black Monday, is without the job, and he goes to this little penny stocks trading operation that's run in like this grimy strip mall sweatshop and it's here that he learns that the commission earned on stock sales here isn't the two or three percent that they would make in wall street but 50 percent commission 50%. spike jones he makes a cool little cameo here as wayne the guy explaining to belfort how their little operation works jordan then demonstrates his sales mastery to these other workers here and they see in him a messiah figure who can potentially teach them the, the skills they need to make them rich. Now, he never got to be a big Wall Street broker prior to this, as according to this account, his first day on Wall Street was Black Monday, which again, what's the chances? What's the chances, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so all of these you know, interpersonal sales skills that he's got are something that he just naturally has. He's not been taught them. The mm. only thing he's been taught is the mantra which Mark Hanna told him. Yeah, but he, he was working with Hannah for a couple of months ah, right, so again, while he was studying for his... Uh, yeah, this is something I was thinking of. There's only one timestamp, and I think that's, that's the one we've just had, Black Monday. Yeah. I think there's another one, isn't it, 18 months later? Yeah. And, um, him and um, Naomi get together, and yes, then that's yeah. 18 months later, yeah. they've got a child. I, I'm trying to think. There's, there's got to be more timestamps in it, but there's times in the film where the passage of time is not clear. 
Well, these are main events or big events yeah. in his life, so maybe he could remember these because mm-hmm. um, of their importance. Whereas yeah. everything else is just all mixed up. You know, uh, it's hard enough when you know for anybody who was sober all the time to yeah. remember what happened when. Can you imagine in his head? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and here's the bit you've been waiting for, Leighton, because we then meet <laughs> Jonah Hill as Donny Azoff. <laughs> One of the great performances. One of the great. Yeah. Because he worked for absolute minimum wage because he got paid $60,000 for this film compared to DiCaprio's $10 million. Yeah. Those yeah. F- fucking veneers that Hill wears. <laughs> oh, they are so important to why his character is great. They just give his performance that little extra something that's disproportionate to what they actually are. And pretty soon after befriending him, this is the type of guy he is, Donnie is get, you know, he gets Jordan smoking crack. Yeah. But it's that conversation they have about... Him marrying his cousin. And, uh, uh, oh, it's not like that. You know? It's not like that. You know what I mean? Like, you married your cousin or some stupid shit, you know? Yeah, my wife, yeah, my wife is my cousin or whatever, but it's not like what you think, whatever, you know? Is she like a first cousin or is she? Yeah, no, she, you know, her, her father is the, is the brother of my mom. Mm-hmm. It's not like, you know, look, we grew up together. And she grew up hot, you know, she right. fucking grew up hot. And all my friends were trying to fuck her, you know, and I, I was, I'm not going to let someone, you know, one of these assholes fuck my cousin. Oh, so, yeah. I, you know, I used the cousin thing as like, yeah, like yeah. an end with her. I'm, I'm not going to let someone else fuck my cousin. You what? know, if anyone's going to fuck my cousin, it's, it's going to be me out of, out of respect, you know. No, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're not afraid of like the whole kid thing, right? Like the whole kids, right? Yeah. And no, they, we have two kids. And they're... I mean, I don't mean to, I don't want to get personal or anything. They, they're okay. No, they're not retarded or anything like that. But there's Hong a Kong big league. chance, right? Yeah, you whole... know. Yeah, there's like a 60%, you know, 60 to 65% chance the kid's going to be fucking retarded or whatever. That the shit out of me, buddy. I look, man, a lot of having a kid or whatever takes risks, whether you're fucking cousins or not. What, what if you, I mean, what if something like that happened? Uh, I basically, you know, if the kid was retarded, I would, I would, you know, drive it up to the country. And just like, you know, open the door and let us say, you're free now. You know, like, run free. You know. You come from this bucket with you. That's horrible. You know. No, you, you look like you fuck. No, we would take it to like an institution or somewhere that's handled to like, you know, raise the kid or whatever. You know what? If you're happy, God bless you, buddy. No, I'm not fucking happy. No one who's married is fucking happy. (laughs) I'm sorry to hear that, buddy. Listen, I'm really, you know, I'm really... You're free. You're free, that's free. You're free free to go. We don't know if he's serious or not either. Jonah Hill, he's he's been doing this for years, hasn't he? He he was the Judd Apatow films. They would just spend hours and hours just riffing and, you know, ad-libbing. And he's just brought that across into this film. Yeah, I, I think when I first saw this film, and I, you know, I was aware of the fact that he was getting a nomination for best supporting actor. I was like, really? But hundred percent, absolutely. Who's you know, who's to say that a comedic performance shouldn't get a nomination? Well, the, 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 this was this is was his second nomination because I think the Moneyball? year before was was Moneyball. Yeah, he got nominated for Moneyball. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's completely different. Yeah, totally, totally different. To- yeah, totally. But, and whilst I think Moneyball is a really good film, it's a very, very good film. Jonah Hill, when he's firing all cylinders, is there a better comedic actor than him, really, in the world? Um, because, it, 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 Will, because... Will Ferrell, possibly. Oh, no. I, no, I, I, John, Jonah Hill, if you think, super bad 
is unquestionably, in the last 20 years, one of the top five funniest films released. Got to be. Well, that's the thing with, with comedy, isn't it? It's purely subjective, isn't it? Yeah, it is, it is. But the thing is, you look at Jonah Hill's performance in Superbad. Yeah. It's almost like they've allowed the character to grow up and uh, to allow himself to have work done in his teeth. To, that he's he, he's decided to marry his cousin. Yeah. And it, it's like it's like almost like a natural transition from one film to another in in a certain regard, shall we say? Yeah. But John, Jonah Hill, Jonah Hill is the, is in this. He knows he's not the star, but the thing is, he knows he's already he's got to be doing something. So, for example, when there's the wedding and Leo is doing his body popping and all yeah. the rest, Jonah Hill's got a cigarette in one hand and he's just finger dancing, <laughs> just yeah. shuffling, it, just shuffling his shoulders left and right. But then the thing is, he's giving monologues. And apparently, when they made the film, they had this, the the shooting script, but they also filmed and allowed people to sort of ad lib. Yeah, there was loads. Yeah, there was loads of ad-libbing loads by all accounts. Yeah, and that's what Scorsese does, though, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But apparently, the Jonah Hill parts were pretty much put into the film because they were that good. The thing with this film is, if you if you're watching, because uh, it is about DiCaprio, it is about Jonah Hill, yes, Margot Robbie, John Bernthal, and all of these people. But the thing is, we always say there's like an MVP of of a film, isn't there? Yeah. Don't get me wrong, DiCaprio carries everything, and he really mm-hmm. does. But Jonah Hill is so near the top of being the absolute standout in this film. Yeah, I agree. He really is. Yes. And and I'm saying that as somebody who thinks this is probably DiCaprio's best part in a film as well. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, well, again, you know, maybe we'll come to that later. But mm. it's, it, but yeah. you know, that's, how that's how so, can it not be? Exactly, and that's how good they both are, yeah. and they feed each other. And that this like this scene in question, it's it's that classic conversation, you know. I'm hearing this thing. I, I don't I don't really want to bring it up, but <laughs> but it's when they get around to it, you know. Yeah, we've got two kids. We've got two kids, <laughs> and you know, there's always a problem. You know, there's always a thing with you know having children. Something could turn out not right and all the rest. But what they allude to and what they don't actually say is even more impactful than what they do actually say. I, well, he, he doesn't really skirt around that issue there, does he? With the fact <laughs> he's married his cousin, I, I don't think there's any subtlety there. Like, no, but I mean, no, yeah, no, no, but no. I mean, I mean, you know, as, as in the context of you know about you know that they're going to retard it, and it's just so <laughs> yeah. ethically the, the quality and morally of, wrong, isn't it? It's yeah. just... The quality of DiCaprio in that scene, though, is that he just lets it happen. Yeah. He just feeds <laughs> a few lines and see what happens. Yeah, this <laughs> uh, is class. We then meet Donnie and Jordan's crew, including, we talk about MVPs, I don't know, for the amount of time he's on screen, John Burnfall <laughs> as Brad is possibly my favourite character in this film. Oh. I, I want to see I want to see a Brad and Donnie film, <laughs> a, a buddy comedy. Oh, we're looking for fuck still. Fuck still. Dead of 35 from heart attack. Same age as Mozart. Not putting them in the same bracket. <laughs> now, the, these guys oh. will work with Donnie and Jordan in an old auto shop selling these crappy penny stocks to blue collar workers. And then Jordan's wife, his first wife, she questions the morality of this operation. And instead of taking his criticism of what he's doing, Jordan instead gets this idea to sell these penny stocks to the rich. <laughs> and therefore make exponentially more money. Pretty soon then, they've moved to more decent office space, which was shown in a series of really cool cuts. And as an audience, from early on in the film, we are complicit in the con. 
this is something where the film got criticised quite heavily. Yes. It's because of all the excess and luxury, the victims were never, ever, other than a passing mention, never sort of any spotlight put on them, did they? Yeah, they, they, they actually made a film, didn't they, I think, about the, of the victims of this. Wasn't Andrew Garfield in it? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, and, um, and nobody went to see it? No, no, because it was no fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is no fun. Um, yeah. you know, we all want to see the rich, we all want to see... But I don't think that in this film that we want to be those characters, though, because we all want what they've got. Yes, that's fine. Yeah, but the way but, they get uh, it, isn't it? But the what, yeah. yeah, but who they are, I don't think there's this moment where we think, oh, yeah, I want to be Donnie. But you can see it early on when, when, when Jordan's having this conversation with Mark Hanney. He says, yeah, but you know, Nick, isn't it great also then when we're making money for them as well? Yeah. And he's like, no, 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 fuck that shit, man. Yeah. It's yeah. about making money for us. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and that there is the fact that Mark Hanna's moral compass is literally skewed in one direction, and that's yeah. towards greed and just serving himself. Mark Hanna actually says, doesn't he, at that scene, at that point, he goes, "It's his first day." Yeah, Be- because he's yeah. still got his his moral compass. Isn't but he's still he's drinking water, isn't he? Whereas yeah. Mark Hanna yeah. is doing, uh, you know, martinis vodka martinis at eleven thirty, yeah, and a lot of other things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then when we see them all in um, in, in the new offices, we then see. Uh, the girl getting her head shaved. That, that, that was that was Natasha Newman Thomas, and she she wasn't an actor, but she was a costume designer on the film, and she volunteered to lose all of her hair for the film. What a what a trooper! Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> That's kind of depressing, mind at the same time, isn't it? It is. Oh, yeah. I know the fact that she's willing, and it, yeah, all right. You, if you, wanna... you swear she's a seasoned actress because you could see the elation and the pain. The pain. She's yeah. yeah. At the same yeah. time. Great. I'm just doing ten thousand dollars, but also I've got a. Yeah. I've I've now got no hair. It's perfectly. Inc- encapsulates because after that there's the marching band and yeah. then there's the strippers yeah. and the gymnasts and and she's the one left bewildered wandering through the room rubbing her scalp with the tufts still there and yeah. you know clearly not done properly yeah. and the mad thing about that scene is she's wandering through it all you've got the scantily clad marching band then the strippers sort of come in for this fight have you ever noticed that the one side is all blonde and the other side are all brunettes and black hair no <laughs> so it's like a, it's, it's like a clash as they meet <laughs> Oh, I don't so think I have noticed that. Yeah, so like when you were saying about the colours and like how everything yeah. is hyper, and there you are. This is this example of mm. it. Yeah, well, you, you and you guys know, you know how much I love blues music and everything. And uh, Howling Wolf, Smokestack Lightning, one of my favourite songs. I can't listen to it now without thinking of that yeah. scene. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it's it's it, that's played about it much like a, the Rolling Stones in The Departed, isn't it? Um, Gimme Shelter's played about five times. Well, any time there's like an orgy, like on the um, plane as well, it's um, played then. It's a, it <laughs> yeah. is a number of times. Any time there's yeah. true, complete excess, Howling Wolf. And again, yeah. this is another film where Scorsese just uses needle drops. No mm. score. No. Yeah. And h- how many times has he used a score in a film? Taxi Driver, obviously, most famously. Yeah. Ridge and Bull. Ridge and Bull, there's, yeah. you know, there's classical music in that. Mm. Um, and then things but it's like not original, Hugo and Silence, he's got yeah, it. Yeah, but oh, it's even um, Silence. It's not what you would yeah. call classical no, music. It's, no. it's it's very all ambient. But again, he's he's back to this typical Scorsese needle drop in this yeah. one, isn't he? Mm. Mm. What have we got next? Then we've got, oh the Forbes article, which paints him as this like nefarious Wall Street type, and nicknames him the Wolf of Wall Street. And instead of harming his image, which he initially thought he would do, it draws every young stockbroker on Wall Street to want to work for him. It's like every little thing that that can go wrong for him ends up going right in the first part of this story isn't it it's a combination of his nefarious kind of actions and also so much good fortune and also the fact that there's so much greed out there 
Yeah. But, uh, exactly. Yeah. 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 Oh, that, exactly. that, that really dark little um, the the, the Ben Jenner subplot about this broker who is seen getting head from a co-worker. He ends up marrying her, and then Jordan and Donnie have a threesome with her. And then Jordan, in his narration, just really nonchalantly tells us that Jenner later ends up killing himself, and we see this brief oh, yes. grim shot of a bathtub full of blood. Yeah. It's an afterthought, isn't it? It's like the same attitude, isn't it, that the um, OCP executives have got, have got in Robocop after Kinney gets blown away, oh, yeah, and it's just yeah. like, yeah. That's, well, that's life in a big city. Yeah, somebody cleaned yeah. it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, never mind he was a co-worker. It was a case of, oh, well, there we are. Move on to the next. You yeah. know, where's, where's the next hooker? Where's the next line of blow? Where's the yeah. next, you know... Yeah crack cocaine you know where is this where's the excess where's my my stunning wife and my stunning house ah oh, somebody died ah oh, well there we are i know people who don't like this film because it's so morally wrong and it is morally wrong isn't it but it's a farce isn't it it's farcical it is and this is this is a way a big thing of the bone of contention a lot of people had with this film is about the fact that it doesn't make them out to be sneering villains does it no and Scorsese, from the off, as did DiCaprio, they just wanted to tell a story. And they without, wanted to tell... judgmental. Yeah, without judgment. Even though the actions of these guys is wholly immoral. And that, that that's where this film kind of rubbed so many people up the wrong way. And in fact, can we put a pin in that, guys? Because when we come to sum up this film, and there's a question I've got in relation to... Well, I'll save it anyway. Okay. So, 53 minutes in, we meet Margot Robbie as the Duchess of Bay Ridge, Naomi LaPaglia, and pretty soon, Donnie, under the influence of Quaaludes, is stood in front of everyone at a party, jerking himself off at the sight of Naomi. <laughs> That's the effect she has on me. Right, for, for Belfort, it's love at first sight, and before long, he's filing for divorce from his first wife, Teresa, and shacking up with Naomi. Let's talk about Margot Robbie. She's gorgeous. <laughs> She's phenomenal, isn't she? She is, yeah. And for an Australian soap actress, her accent is perfect. Perfect. She's she's sensational. I've never seen the Australian breakthrough in Margot Robbie. No. It didn't in no. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. No. It you know in you know those Suicide Squad films or whatever she was in. Yeah, it's never broken through, is it? No. She's and yet when she talks in interviews, yeah, it sounds so odd then yeah. because you just used to you know in those accents. Yeah. Like that first Suicide Squad film is is awful. The James Gunn one is pretty good, in fairness to it. Yeah. And the standalone film, Birds of Prey, is really good, I think, personally. And she is the best thing out of this. What well, I know that Birds of Prey is, is around her, but those two Suicide Squad, she's the best thing in them. Mm-hmm. By a mile. Well, it was the, this was her big break, wasn't it? This was her first film. Yeah. This was her first film proper. Do you know the story of how she actually got the job for this? Go on. They were additionally in... Loads and loads of actresses, and um, they called a few back, and they were like, right, we need to do a chemistry test. Now, chemistry tests, do the two actors spark off each other? Do they do they look good together? Do they, do, are they the right people for the film? The, the, the scene in question was a scene where Naomi and Jordan were going to be in a passionate kiss after having some sort of argument, discussion, or what have you. Margot Robbie turned around and slapped DiCaprio instead of kissing him. After the scene, she said to Leo DiCaprio, is that all right? And he said, yes, perfect. And Scorsese was like, you're the person that we need. Because she took it upon herself to sort of improvise rather than just be what's on the page. Yeah, That's how she got the job. She is fantastic in this film. Yeah. Albeit that she, towards, as the film goes on, she tends to dip out of it. Yeah, it, I think the difference there is, Leighton, that let's compare her to Karen in Goodfellas. We see the story told from multiple characters' points of view, don't we? including yes. Karen. 
Karen gets her own bit of narration, yeah, doesn't yeah, she? Does, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Whereas with Naomi, we always see Naomi as we do with everyone else from Jordan's point of view. If this is his story, he's the narrator and we never break away from that. So I think from that point of view there, we're limited in the kind of perspective that we see Naomi from, but that doesn't mean that it's in any way a lesser you know, sort of role. No, no. It's quite a rounded role as well. well I think, I think, yeah. We see lots of sides to her. Yes, it's through Jordan's eyes, but because of how good she is as an actress. Look at that bit where they first go for dinner and, and, and she says, we're not going to be friends. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> wow. Yeah, I would have married her then, if I'm good. honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you would have gone um, up for tea, would you? Oh, 100%. <laughs> oh, God, uh. <laughs> I was going to say something else and alluding to the 11 seconds, but no, I'm not going to. So, uh... <laughs> <laughs> right, the, the, the gay orgy scene with Nicholas the butler and friends. <laughs> now that nearly got the film, the dreaded NC-17 rating, and actually got the film banned in some countries. We see Jordan's friends step into gangster territory then as they dangle a bloodied Nicholas over the side of a building to try and find out where Jordan's stolen 50k is. Unsurprisingly, there was a load of stuff that the MPAA objected to throughout the film. It became the film with the most F-bombs in it, 506 in total, best in the previous record holder, which was, any guesses, guys? Casino. Um, casino. casino with 422 F-bombs. It wasn't Casino. Um, it wasn't. I always thought it was Casino. I know this. Go on. Oh. I'll give you a clue. It's a oh. British film. Nil by mouth. It's nil by mouth. Yes. <laughs> oh, outstanding, outstanding, <laughs> Steve. Nil by mouth from 1997. It had 428 f bombs, six more than Casino. And I always thought, yeah, like you, that it was Casino. You know, saying that though, do you know what you're saying about the Wolf of Wall Street? Is Martin Scorsese's most financially successful film at the box office? Yes. For an eight in the UK, an 18 rated film, yeah. and in the the US was an R. Yeah, R rated in the US. Yeah. R rated. But it's it made nearly half a billion dollars. Yeah. Budget of a hundred million made four hundred and six million worldwide. Debt, you know, making it the biggest hit of his career. Yeah, unbelievable. Yeah. When you think Shutter Island did two forty, was it so two fifty or that just before that? So it's it's incredible, really. Jordan then proposes to Naomi, and then we have the airplane bachelor orgy en route to even more debauchery in Las Vegas, which you only see the aftermath of the airplane orgy. This film has got to be the most sex the Scorsese's ever put in a film. Oh, yeah. Sex, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. yeah. $2 million to repair the 28th floor, was it? Yeah. And at their wedding end, we meet um, a British institution of sorts and former Bond girl, Joanna Lumley, as Naomi's English aunt, Emma. <laughs> <laughs> now, that is a bit of casting I did not expect. The first time I ever watched it and she turns up, I was like, Wow, really? Yeah, but originally it was supposed to be Julia Andrews. Yeah, yeah. she yeah she'd she'd broken something, didn't she? Yeah, rank so, yeah. yeah. or something. Which, Can you imagine her? That would have been really odd seeing um, DiCaprio cracking onto uh, Mary, <laughs> Mary Poppins. Poppins. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't have sat well with me. Uh. And then Jordan's wedding gift to Naomi is this huge yacht, and then we have some purposely anachronistic music from the Foo Fighters. What do you think of Alayton being uh, so musically minded? Not exactly subtle, shall we say? I think it's a bizarre choice, and I don't yeah. get what it's doing. But yeah, it, it's the, it's because of the lyrics of the song, isn't it? You know, if everything could ever make me feel this way forever, it it's everything is is rose-tinted glass uh, glasses at that moment at that film at that at the point of the film, isn't it? Which cuts to 
the 18 months later. The 18 months later, yeah. Yeah. And Jordan and Naomi then, they've got a child, yeah. and then Naomi is mad at Jordan after yeah. he calls out another woman's name as he was sleeping, that of his dominatrix, yeah. Venice. Venice. Piece of shit! Duchess, baby, Don't come on. Don't you fucking yeah, duchess me! Don't you duchess me! Do you Just really think yeah. that I don't know what you're up to? You're a father now, Jordan? Yeah. You're a father now. I know. And you're still acting yes. like an infant! God damn it! Baby, you know, you you got real anger issues. You got so Who is the one who flew in here at three in the morning on their stupid helicopter and woke up Skylar? That was you. Skylar, Skylar, fucking bullshit. and actually do some work besides swiping my fucking credit card all day, huh? Because I can't keep track of your professions, honey. Because last month you were a wine connoisseur, now you're an aspiring landscape architect. Let me get that right. No, fuck you! No, fucking dare throw that fucking water at me. Don't you fucking dare. All right, honey? And we could just, we could, we, we could talk this out, all right? We just use our words, you know? We communicate, okay? Come on, sweetheart. Talk to me. Talk to me. Stop flexing your muscles, Jordan. You look like a fucking imbecile. Baby, come on. You should feel... You should feel happy you got a husband who's in such great shape like this, huh? Come here. Come on, give me a kiss. You look so beautiful right now. Come on. Kiss you? You look so beautiful kiss when you're you? Yeah, give me one. Fuck you! Do you know what I love about that scene, though? When he goes, talks about you've got to play the, the golf course guy, his voice goes four octaves higher and he's screeching. Yeah. And it, it, oh my God, it's such a Greek tragedy. You have to play the golf course guy with, with, with cash, with your hands. Yes, yeah, it's, honestly. It's outstanding. Give the man more comedies, please. Yeah. I mean, he's astonishing. And even when he's, he's trying to save his marriage, isn't he, you know, mm. basically... The way he, he he goes, you fucking do that. You do that with the water. A glass of water at the end of the day. Just because he's been disturbed after crashing, nearly crashing the helicopter at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. Setting all the alarms off. Ultimately falling in the, the swimming pool. He's the one who's got his head up his ass. But then Margot Robbie has got to be given credit for that sequence as well. Yeah, because absolutely. She, she goes toe-to-toe with him. Yeah. Yeah, but it also foreshadows the final scene we see him together, which is more yes. violent. Oh, that, is, that's, yeah, yeah, we'll come to that, but yeah. that, that last scene, yeah. God. No, right, Bob Fosse's All That Jazz. Now, that is definitely an influence on the scene where Jordan is explaining his daily pill-popping eye-drop routine, which is so similar to Roy Scheider's routine in that film. That that has to be Scorsese homage in Fosse's film. And then another film that was clearly an influence here, and I, you know, I think it's so obvious, is The Graduate, with that shot of Jordan framed underneath Naomi's leg looking at her uh, parted <laughs> legs as she sits on the floor in the nursery torturing him. And then speaking of The Graduate, we then meet women's shoe guru Steve Madden, played by Jake Hoffman, son of Dustin. Son of Dustin Hoffman, yes. So there's another graduate link. Yeah. 
Yeah. He's not very good, is he? He's not very good, is he? <laughs> well, <laughs> he's, really... he's out of place in this film, isn't he? That's the thing. Yeah, yeah, I guess he's, he's supposed a bit to be... of a wet yeah. Uh, flag. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I suppose. I suppose, yeah. but... He hasn't got his father's acting ability, so yeah. what was it? Anyway. So you say the difference between the Mary Lou and the Mary Sue? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. We, we got black leather, and these ones are whatever. Yeah, it's rubbish. And then we, we meet, speaking of another great performance, right? FBI agent Patrick Denham, played by Kyle Chandler. Ah. Uh, who, along with a stony faced colleague who doesn't say anything, pays Jordan a visit on his massive yacht. Can you say that again? Just the way you said it. Just the same way. Uh, I don't know what you're talking no, about. Oh, come on, you know what I'm talking no, about. I don't I'll just say the same thing. I think what Jordan just did is he, if I'm not mistaken, no. you just tried to bribe a federal officer. No, technically no, I didn't bribe anybody. No, no, technically that's not the that's, No, no, no. Jordan. According to the U.S. criminal code, there needs to be an exact dollar figure for an exchange oh. of services. That would not hold up in a court of law. Yeah, you no, no, I heard it. No, 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 no. That's the truth. But... I want to tell you this. Yeah. The same gentleman that told me that you tried to get your broker's license also told me that you were a straight arrow. You ran a security check on me. Well, you know, when you sail on a boat fit for a Bond villain, sometimes you need to play the part, right? I think it's time you both get the fuck off my boat. What do you say? <laughs> you know, Jordan, I'll tell you something. Most of the Wall Street jackasses that I bust, yeah. they're, uh, they're to the manor born. Is that right? Yeah. Their fathers are douchebags, just like their fathers before them. But you, you, Jordan, you got this way all on your own. Did I? Good for you, little man. Little man? Good for you. <laughs> me, the little man. And let me tell you something. <laughs> no, let me tell you something else. Honestly, I'm not bullshitting here. This is one of the nicest boats that I've ever been on. I gotta, I gotta tell you. I bet it is. And you know what I was just thinking, too? The fucking hero that I'm gonna be back at the office when the bureau seizes this fucking boat, because I mean, fuckity fuck fuck, Jordan, look at his face. It's beautiful. If you get the beautiful girls there, it's wonderful. All right, get the fuck off oh. my boat. I'm sure we'll be seeing each other real soon. I'm sure. Good luck on that subway ride home to your miserable, ugly fucking wives. I'm gonna have Heidi lick some caviar off my balls in the meantime. Hey, you guys wanna take some lobsters for your ride home? Fucking miserable pricks. I know you can't afford them, fucking cheap fucks. Hey, fellas, look what I found in my pocket. Look, a year's salary right here. What I call them? Fun coupons. See that? A fun coupon. Come on, the flute zombie. Grandfather and me. Around now. Do you want some fucking lobster? <laughs> right, this scene, I think it might be the single longest scene of dialogue in the film. Now, Thelma, Thelma Schoenmaker says that Chandler's whole... Did you just try to bribe an FBI agent? That was entirely improvised, as was Leo's subsequent reaction to it. Well, you don't notice, do you? Because no. it's that good. It's that yeah. Good. Yeah. And, of course, he's also the FBI agent. He's, he's probably an amalgam of lots of different um, FBI agents. Yeah. But he is the moral core. Yes. 100%. Yeah. He, yeah, he is wholly moral, isn't Definitely. he? Definitely. There's that scene later on, isn't it, where he's on the train, he's caught Jordan, he's just like, shit, I've done all this and I'm still yeah. fucking catching the train to work. Yeah. 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 Well, I think that's the contrast, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. That's all foreshadowed as well, isn't it? You know, yeah. when um, on the boat he says, you know, you're going to go back to your fucking ugly wives and and everything's sort of foreshadowed, isn't it? I'm a big, big fan of Kyle Chandler, I've got to be honest. I think he's, what's the word you use, the, the moral centre? Was I used to yeah, he's a moral cause. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, it, he tends to be that type of character in each film. He was Coach Taylor on Friday Night Lights, wasn't he? The TV show, and he yeah. was remarkable, absolutely remarkable. Every and like a Super Eight, he was the town sheriff, wasn't he? Oh yeah, you know, Super Eight, what a great little film. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's Someone magic. That doesn't yeah. mentioned often. Yeah, it's yeah. magic. He's the centre there, you know, the good guy in an awkward situation. But Kyle Chandler is brilliant in this. Do, oh, do we think, guys, that? Uh, just prior to the point where those two FBI agents step on board his massive yacht, is that Jordan Belfort's peak? Because I think everything after this is the downward slope to him eventually, well, going to jail, really, isn't it? Yeah, and the, and the way he gets caught as well um, when he's, you know, because he's filming that infomercial. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they, they get caught on camera. Yeah, <laughs> which is a, that's a brilliant Monty Python moment, isn't it? That, that's breaking the fourth wall yeah, in the way. That you can't it go, is, isn't it? yeah. 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 And what what I mean by things going wrong is after this, <laughs> we, we now see more of Brad bringing his Eastern European wife to help smuggle millions of dollars of cash into Switzerland. And I just fucking love this hate dynamic between Brad and Donnie. <laughs> you have the you have the bit where Brad knocks him out. Yeah. But before that, when he says he says, you know, I mean, um, or you're gonna have to take my money as well. I don't work for you. You got your money strapped to your tits. Right, guys, this is all leading to the strip mall car park money exchange between oh, Donnie and Brad, which I have to say might be my favourite scene in the entire film. The Emperor of Fuxin. I'm smart. smart. I make million-dollar deals right? with smart, important people, unlike you. People unlike. who don't sucker punch people when they're scared, okay? I'm scared, And huh? by the way, I haven't gotten an apology yet for More that. Apology. Oh. I check my fucking messages every day when you I come you? home from work. My answering machine, one, huh? zero. I got a blinking light because I don't have shit from you. I got my yeah. wife checking the messages every 45 minutes, calling the office and saying, has Brad apologized yet? Is there an apology message yeah, on the machine? Apology. I don't you know have what? jack shit. You know what? That's not how you treat yeah, people. Just, you got a big fucking mouth. You know, I'm gonna give you a fucking pass. Just give me the case. Oh, you're gonna give me a pass. Look, it's a figure of fucking speech. Oh my gosh, the, the fucking... Emperor of Foxville came down from Foxville to give me a pass. Hey, what are the citizens of Foxville doing today when the Emperor's gone? Is it is it mayhem? Are people looting and raping? What are all the little fuckheads doing while you're here? Hey, hey, you back the fuck up. I'll fucking sing that I've ever caused in my life. If you come at me again, just fuck. You know what? I got. I don't want to be out of line or anything, but I, I think you like like me, like you. Like when you come at what me, the you look at me. I know. What I just, the fuck? I, I just noticed. I, okay. You have like a fucking like, you like a twinkle. Me. You have like a twinkle. Did you try and kiss me, bro? Jesus. Oh, did you try? I'm with you. I have like a. I don't know. I just. It's not a homophobic thing. You're just not the one for me, pal. Okay, you okay, know what I mean? It's okay, not It's not okay. about that for me, you know? You I've understand? Enough, please. Benny, give me the fucking case, okay? I'm gonna give you the case. Give me the case. You gotta do me one favor. What's that? You gotta take this case. You gotta drive straight home. 
need you to open up the briefcase. I need you to take out every single dollar. Don't leave one dollar inside the briefcase. And once you have it all neatly organized outside the briefcase, I need you to take it, and I need to shove it right up your wife's Latvian cunt. You understand? Oh, my fucking wife. Fuck, chill. Oh, chill, bro. Fucking piece of shit. How about now? Go, go, go. When Donnie gets out of the car and Brad's like, oh, you fucked up, man. I goes, ah, ah, and he stands up and he gives him the finger. Yeah. <laughs> and Brad's like, oh, you prick, I'm going to fucking throttle if we didn't have all my money in the suitcases and everything. But that sequence is absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And when they start fighting, and oh, it's, it's brilliant. It's That's absolutely the, um, brilliant. Was it in Goodfellas, Billy Bats moment? When, yeah. um, you know when when you know that it's definitely going wrong because that's yeah. the moment that is the the event which brings down everything. Yeah, that's you know, right. The, the deck of cards, the whole house of cards comes down. Do you know my favorite bit of that scene? Uh, Do you know when the cops when Brad turns to face the cops with his hands up? That scream he gives. <laughs> <laughs> and then Donnie's like looking past, driving slow motion. Uh, Do you know what, guys? I've got to say, right, these people, right. They're just actors. They are people who just perform the art of make believe. But I gotta say, right, John Burnfall terrifies me. <laughs> I he's a type of guy that I have no doubt if I said the wrong thing to him, he could fuck me up three ways from Sunday. You just you know, you only gotta look at him in, him in the Punisher. He's just got this constant threatening thing about him that he could just complete like the bit in the um when they're in the, the diner and he, he wants he, he wants a, a new another ketchup bottle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. but what's he doing with those though you know with Rugrat and all the others he's yeah. out of place isn't he yeah he's something I know yeah, yeah but he, Jordan Jordan specifically says he's, he's the my guy, guy. Wanted more than he's my guy more than anybody else isn't it it's only because he was a he was a drug dealer yeah, he's, he's a quail king isn't he yeah, yeah. and that's the yeah. first time you yeah. see you know yeah. sell me this pen yes that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But but Brad, see, he doesn't rat out Donnie. And then no. Don, Donnie, as a way of distracting Jordan from finding out what happened with Brad, gifts him with these legendary but slow acting oh, Lemon man. 714 Quaaludes, leading to one of the funniest, well, possibly funniest ever scenes involving a beautiful white Lamborghini Contrash and a, and a trip to a nearby country club to use a payphone. For what he do? I don't know what he did. My friends in Long Island told me he got picked up in some fucking shopping mall. He got locked up by. Wait, wait, did you, did, wait, wait, did you say a shopping mall? Yeah. yeah. He, he was with Donnie. He was supposed to deliver listen. some money to that fucking fat listen piece of shit. Me. I'm gonna go fucking talk to him right now. Listen to me, don't go. Listen to me. That guy Denham, that FBI agent guy. Somebody told me he's got your phones tapped, your office and your home. Don't talk on the motherfucking phone. Okay. Fuck. I got it. I got it. I got it. I got it. Jordan. You, you didn't try to bribe this fucking FBI agent, did you? No, I didn't try to bribe an FBI agent. You think I'm that fucking stupid? No. What the fuck are you saying? I can't understand. Say that again. I said I'm going to FBI agent. What the fuck are you saying? I said... Are you fucking high? I can't move. I said I'm going FBI. Jordan, are you fucking high? Jordan, do me a favor. Stay where you are. Don't get behind the wheel of the car. I'm going to sit after 15 years in storage, the lemons had developed a delayed fuse. It took 90 minutes for these little fuckers to kick in, but once they did, pow! 
I mean, I had skipped the tingle phase and went straight to the drool phase. These little bastards were so strong, I discovered a whole new phase. The cerebral palsy phase. Oh, that, that moment when he's looking down the steps. Oh. And instead of about four or five steps, <laughs> there's about 30 of them. Yeah, because, yeah, Jordan looks down the steps from the entrance, and his POV, we see maybe 20 steps. But then we cut to the wide shot, there's only six steps. From his point of view again? Yeah. <laughs> this, it's just to show that, to him, it may as well be 20 steps, yeah. isn't it? Because he can't even walk. Yeah. Yeah. And that moment when he he opens the car door, apparently Scorsese didn't realise the car doors go up yeah. when they filmed it. Yeah. It's it's yeah. phenomenal body acting. When he says about crawling and Skylar can do it, so I can do I should yeah. be able to do it. <laughs> <laughs> and he's there like like a tortoise on on its back with his legs and arms in the air, just oh. cycling the fin. Oh my days. God. It is I remember watching that for the first time and literally almost being on the floor laughing. Yeah. The inhaler came out more than once. <laughs> I'm not lying. It's the physicality that yeah. DiCaprio does in it. And we don't yeah. normally associate Cap- DiCaprio with that, do we? No. Well, no. no. But this is what I'm saying. The guy, this has got to be his best film. And look, I know what he went through for The Revenant. Everybody knows what everybody went through in The Revenant, okay? And... That film has got its million merits, right? But DiCaprio in this film is just on a different level. I, I know which one I'm going to be rewatching most. Yes. It's not going to be The Revenant. I, re, I rewatched part of The Revenant quite recently. It was just on TV and I, I hadn't seen it since I watched it the first time. I really enjoyed it. I really did. There's no way in, there's no way of shape anyways as entertaining as Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, no. He oh, didn't no. get his foot stuck in a door in a car door handle. No. <laughs> in whilst trying to answer in a, a phone in the car, whilst under the influence of quaaludes and not being able to physically talk because he was in the paralysis stage. <laughs> so and then when he gets to the house and the, him and Donnie have a fight. That's a bit you know, my favourite bit of the fight, right? Is where Donnie Picks up the dog oh. bowl. You don't hit him with it. You just puts it in his way. <laughs> it's like Donnie, right? He's, Donnie's not got enough dexterity or fine motor control to do anything other than to put the dog bowl in his way. Like that's going to make like, any difference. Gonna, yeah, I love it. Uh, no, I love the. I love that moment when with the telephone wire and it snaps yes. back in his face. Yeah. Give him that best supporting actor Oscar. Mm. He's the oh superb. And it, right, the, the subsequent Heimlich on Donnie, that wasn't in Belfort's account of the Lemon Quaalude Adventures, I'll call it. And that was an invention of the film. And then we see what really happened when Jordan drove the Lamborghini home under the influence. That's got to be one of the most upsetting scenes in the film for yeah. a petal head like me. And they could only film it once. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Beautiful Lamborghini contrast, just destroyed. Right, John Favreau's character, whose name I can I can't recall, and, and Jordan's dad, Mad Max, played of course uh. by Rob Reiner. They gently read him the riot act at this point on what he's now got to do to avoid going to jail. But when Jordan gives his big stepping down speech to his assembled Stratnokmont staff, his ego once again gets the better of him. And he just refuses, doesn't he? he? He doesn't about turn. And during that speech, right, when he says how he helped Kimmy Belzer pay for her kid's college tuition and then some, you've got this genuine moment of pathos, although it's still one that's laced with a fair amount of like self-aggrandizing on his part. But there's, there's so many ways this whole speech he gives can be read, but it all, I think, leads back to Belfort's greed and his ego. I fucking love you, Jordan. I love you yeah. too, Kimmy. And <laughs> she's being genuine and he's yeah. trying to be genuine. He, he can see the room is turning. The room mm-hmm. is coming back on his side. Yeah. Everybody's pretty much accepted Donnie is going to be 
the guy, isn't it? And having rewatched it, <laughs> Rob Reiner, who I can't believe we haven't even brought up the equaliser scene, oh. but <laughs> if you watch Rob Reiner in that scene when when he's going, I'm not leaving, I'm not fucking leaving, and all the rest. Yeah. Rob Reiner in the, he stood next to Donny, <laughs> and he's like this. He's literally got his hands on his head, going, "No, yeah. no!" But it's such a fleeting moment. Within the chaos, kicks off yet again. Because Jordan's an arsehole and he thinks everything he does is right is brilliant. And Rob Reiner, a fair play to him. He gives it his all. He's not in it a great deal, but he is brilliant. He's- the sides, the $26,000 worth of sides to the cure cancer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the cure cancer. <laughs> the sides. From the eyebrows down. <laughs> Can, can you imagine what all the B-roll footage of this was? Because oh. Reiner looks like he's on the verge of breaking so Every many times in this time. film. Yeah. Seeing that, man, right? Favreau, Rob Reiner, Jonah Hill, all directors themselves. Yeah. Don't forget. Yeah. yeah. At least we forget Rob Reiner in that period in the 80s. Probably no better directors working during that, was it, eight-year period when he did Spinal Tap, Princess Bride, Harry Met Sally, Misery. Well, yeah, I think... You've just named, right? Probably my all time favourite comedy. This is Spinal Tap. Yeah. If we're going to call it a romantic comedy, I definitely think my favourite is going to be When Harry Met Sally. And, and Misery. Oh, yeah, Misery. Yeah. And then A Few Good Men just happened yeah. after that. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. He, he just doesn't get the Rob no. Ryan, it doesn't come no. up in there. And the reason, the reason I bring Jonah Hill is because, apropos of nothing, this week my son came to me and said, Dad, have you seen the film Mid 90s? Now, I don't know if you two have seen it, no. but it's Jonah Hill's first film. And it's about kids skateboarding in 1993, 1994. Mm-hmm. It was one of my films of the year when it came out. I loved it. It's only 80, 85 minutes long. It's not on any streaming service. So my, my son's like, oh, I really want to see it. So I was like, bought it for him for like five quid or something on Blu-ray. He watched it. Absolutely loved it. He said, I love it. He said, I, I, like, I like the way he's shot, the way he looks. Sound the soundtrack is tremendous to it as well, but I think Jonah Hill. I know he made that really iffy Netflix movie recently, uh, the one with Eddie Murphy. I don't know if you either of you have seen it. Uh, your people, uh, you people, yeah, like that. yeah, it's it's, it's rubbish. no, it's, it's poor, no, it's really poor. No, I, I, I kind of miss part like I want Jonah Hill to go back to saying, do another Jump Street movie. Make another film, you know, in all the best will in the world. If he's got irons in the fire, in the fire, good for him. But I just want to see him back, you know, doing something similar to this. So, like I said, another Twenty One Jump Street. Do another movie, and like Favreau. I mean, what what isn't Favreau involved with these yeah. days? I mean, The Mandalorian is his baby, mm-hmm. by all accounts. You know, he's the one who you know came up with the the, the idea for the show. Inst- instrumental in kickstarting the MCU back in two thousand and eight. Exactly, and he's responsible for two billion dollar films with Disney: the 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 Jungle Book and the Lion King. Yeah. The, the the for want of a better word, the live action. Yeah, for better or for worse. Yeah. For better or for worse, you know, I, 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 the Jungle Book was okay, wasn't brilliant. I'd rather watch the original personally, but yeah. we got Bill Murray as Baloo the Bear, so you know, mm. but. But, you know, Favreau, at least we forget, is a great actor as well. Oh, yeah. There's loads more cast that we haven't even mentioned, you know. Ethan Soupley for a start, like, you know. As yeah, well as the... Kevin Smith uh, style, what, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the guy who plays Chester, Chester Ming. Yeah. <laughs> so then after um, after Jordan has his, uh, his about turn, when he uh, changes his mind about stepping down, Denham then gets word of this, and the hunt ramps up. 
the, the scenes then on the boat with Donnie and Jordan. Now you talk about those 400 effects shots, Steve. They never filmed in Italy. This is all green screen on a soundstage. And then we find out that Jordan's silent partner, Aunt Emma, has died, which means that Jordan has just two days to get to Switzerland to get the $20 million that was put in the bank account in Emma's name. Earlier, Jordan gave a Captain Ahab speech to his minions, didn't he? But now he's going to face similar dangers that Ahab faced as he faces off against the might of a storm in the middle of the ocean. And this is going to be a big bulk of those effect shots, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think the, all the waves and everything are just yeah. special effects. And they yeah. Great, great special effects. And who's the guy that plays the captain? Shea Wiggum. Shea Wiggum was the captain. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, again, it's Scorsese alumni, uh, Boardwalk Empire. Yeah. He was in the Joker film as well. Um, he was one of the cops chasing down those infamous steps. Yeah. Great, great guy, great guy. We mentioned, didn't we, Jordan getting arrested during the filming of one of his commercials, Another Touch of Genius. But then after this then, we move ahead, don't we? Maybe another, it must be another two years, isn't it? Because Jordan is now, he's visited by Donnie, isn't he? He's been sober for two years. He's on tag and he's still clinging to these ill-gotten gains by the skin of his teeth. But then he now has to resort to framing his friends, doesn't he, by wearing a wire for the FBI. Like the Goodfellas parallels here, they mm-hmm. continue. I think this is probably the natural successor to Goodfellas. The casino is his own entity, but it, I mean, these two side by side, the similarities yeah. are so obvious. The narration, the, the needle drops. I know these are all Scorsese things, but yeah. this to me, if you're going to ever put it, say, right, what's, what's a sequel to Goodfellas? What, what is the, the most natural film alongside Goodfellas? I'd say The Wolf of Wall Street, even more so than Boogie Nights, because the DNA is in both. Well, what I think, Leighton, right, is the, the difference between this film and Goodfellas is this isn't Goodfellas. This is the last act of Goodfellas stretched out over three hours, isn't it? Yeah, Just, I wouldn't yeah, disagree yeah, with that. The, 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 the cocaine-filled nature of it and the pace don't let up, do they, for three hours? No, no, no. Yeah. no but one thing no. that says he's always done, though, is looked at a, a world and with lots of rules, lots of things that you've got, you know, uh, traditions. Mm. It's just him forensically looking at this world. Yeah. And not these people. And, that, and he's done that. You know, you mentioned Goodfellas and Casino and The Age of Innocence. He does it. He, you know, um, Gangs of New York. That's what he does. He looks at these worlds and then he said, and he goes right into the nitty gritty mm. of them. Yeah. And then this long period of sobriety breaks, doesn't it? When Naomi tells him she wants a divorce. And, and here we've got the darkest moment in the film, isn't it? As Jordan plummets well, into the role of domestic abuser. And all the prior comedy goes out the window. Nothing here is played for laughs. And the, and the way that Roby is in the first part of this scene, right, her strained indifference towards Jordan. Yeah. I think this is the, the best bit of acting in the film. This sequence soured the film for me, probably for the first time ever, because I enjoyed myself so much when I watched the, the film the first couple of times. I'd almost forgotten about this part. Yeah. Because nobody wants to remember the bad parts today. They always want to remember the funny parts. Extremely difficult watching. But those right, those people, right, you say that it didn't paint him in a bad light. Did they not watch the film then when they made those comments? Because Exactly. He, he gut punches her. Yeah. yeah. That's after he open palm slaps her across the face. Yeah. yeah. Then takes one of his children and puts them in the car oh, whilst oh, oh, badly under the influence. You know, and even even one of his biggest defenders, the housekeeper almost, she's like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know, perhaps once she's always probably been silent and just let things go, mm. now she just can't because there's an, a, a genuine threat towards a child. And as such, she has to say something. And I mean, it, I found it really quite distressing. Do you, do you know what bit I found more distressing? Going back, right, you know the scene where they're, you know, off their face on quaaludes and they're fighting over the breakfast bar. 
It's the bit where the little girl who's much younger in that scene, where she gives that real reaction, where she puts her arms up in, in like, yeah. fear. But Scorsese's done that a couple of times in his films. I can see why he does it, because he wants genuine reaction. Yeah. But in Goodfellas, um, there's a couple of points when Henry and Karen are arguing, and there's a child just in the periphery yeah. as he storms out the house and she's screaming. In the jail sequence, even in Goodfellas. Yeah, 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 of course. They're done for genuine reasons. Yeah, it, it, it is distressing. It's hard to watch, isn't it? It is, yeah. Especially as you've watched, uh, as I alluded to earlier, that scene earlier when, you know, after 18 months in the, in the first argument that we yeah. see, mm. you know, that is, we can still laugh at that because it's quite ridiculous and all of a sudden they're doing exactly the same. We laugh at that because he says in that monologue, this is the daily morning ritual, isn't it? I'd wake up, me and Naomi would have an argument... I'd start taking my pills, I'd be doing this, I'd be doing that. You sort of go, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, yeah. So it's typical typical marriage, you know, and all the rest. But but this is the truth of the argument, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, but th- this this is like, you know, two years of sobriety. I've, I'm at the end of my tether. I've had enough. I'm going, to, I'm going to find that secret stash. Yeah, in the sofa. Cuts the sofa cushion open. Which kind of alludes to something that's said by one of the FBI agents, isn't it? You know, oh yeah, you've probably got a million stashed stashed in a cushion somewhere in your house, and you, and he doesn't say anything. But then he slashes open the, the sofa uh, and <laughs> to get out a bag of cocaine, which is yeah. probably worth how much money, and literally dumps it on that little coffee table, and he fills it practically like a little mini mountain. It's grim. It's really unpleasant. Pitiful, isn't it? It is, yeah. That's a good way to describe it. Yeah. Pitiful. One word I always think about about this film is reprehensible. Yeah. There's so much reprehensible about this about this film. Yeah. And like the characters, their actions. Why why would you enjoy it as much as it is? And it is the comedy because it is comedy. Well, I think it's because we become complicit throughout the film because yeah. we are laughing with it. Yes, and this is absolutely. the moment where we realise. That yeah. it's not. That this funny. is the bit where the film grabs us by the scruff and yeah. slaps us across the face and says, "Right, wake the fuck up now." Yes, this is not fun yeah. and games. Yeah. This is real life. Jordan's shown, isn't he, being trained how to frame his friends? But then he meets up with Donnie wearing a wire, and then he passes him that note on a poster, doesn't he? Clearing him in as the fact that he is wider. Denham then later finds the note, and then at that point, Belfort's just ruined his chances of staying out of prison and is sentenced to thirty-six months. You know, again, that's 36 months in a low-level prison. He's playing tennis, you know. Well, that, that's what he says. Mm. He, there's one thing I forgot. I'm rich. I'm rich. Yeah. You know? mm. It's like, it's like and again, more Goodfellas parallels. Yeah. 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 And then later on, then, the real Jordan Belfort makes a cameo, doesn't he, as the guy introducing the film's Jordan Belfort at the Straight Line Seminar near the end. That's the real Jordan Belfort. This ending, right, it's... It's the Henry Hill ending from Goodfellas. It's the Ace Rothstein ending from Casino. As I said at the opening, whilst appearing different on the surface, this film is in is in so many ways familiar territory for Scorsese, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. He's using the techniques that he's had in the past, uh, that he's employed in the past. Yeah. To, to He's looking at a different world, mm. but it, it, they're the same. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that brings us to the end of the film in terms of, you know, outlining the, the story. That question which I alluded to earlier, I'll lay on you now. Do you think The Wolf of Wall Street would get made today a mere 10 years on? And that is absolutely a hypothetical question because I absolutely believe in the current climate it, this film wouldn't get made. No, I don't think it would. You can you can say about all the clout the Scorsese's got, the fact that he's made it now, he wouldn't need to make it. So putting this in for someone else to make, I just don't think this film would get made. No. There's something in the news I've seen today about somebody in Florida, a headmistress in Florida, who had to leave her job. She was basically fired because she showed a class uh, a picture of the statue of David, uh, Michelangelo's David. 
because it was pornography. Oh. And I'm thinking, that's where we are today. That's where we are. We're, 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 in, we're in the future from yeah. Demolition Man, aren't yeah. we? Yes, we are. Where everyone yeah. is so hypersensensitive. Yes. You know, but they're you not. They're not. People are not like that. They're a not, small no. percentage of people are like that, and they seem to have the loudest voices. And They've got a big platform now that they didn't really they, have no. back then. And I've just had to go out of my way to source the 2012 editions of Ian Fleming's James Bond books because some sensitivity writers have been brought on board by the Ian Fleming estate and the new editions, which have been published in a month's time, are going to have content removed. That's where we are. Yeah, and Roald Dahl having... Um, George, yeah, Roald Dahl. Yeah, yeah, exactly the same. That's where the, we are at the moment. This film wouldn't get made. Because look at the balls on Scorsese and DiCaprio here making a film like this in the wake of the 2008 financial crisis where so many of us were fucked over by these very same Wall Street types the film doesn't lean into vilifying them as their intention from the outset was to just tell a story and at no point do they endorse the actions of Belfort and Co but I think the reason so many people had such a knee-jerk negative reaction is because they apart from those scenes towards the end which are just concentrating on Belfort with regards to and you know it's a big group that were doing this thousands of Wall Street people were doing similar sort of things. It didn't make these guys outright sneering evil people. And instead, from a lot of people's perspective, the film that Scorsese gave us was kind of a cross between Wall Street and Animal House, wasn't it? It was. And you know, this reminds me of something that um, from my own past is I was at a training seminar once. I think I might have told the story before. It was you know, a sales seminar and they showed a scene from Glen Gary, Glen Ross. Yeah. Alec Baldwin. Always be closing. Yeah, always be closing. <laughs> always be closing. And that yeah. was something that was meant to inspire us. Yeah. And I'm thinking that's not the, that's not that's the, the scene at all. Not at all. It's not. And I think people misread things yeah, sometimes. And they misread because I, I say it again, I said it earlier in um, we I don't think any of us really aspire to be these people. And if we yeah. do then there's, you know, we've got something wrong with us anyway. But there's that thing, is it? All films are one of two things. They're either aspirational stories or they're cautionary tales. Yes. But this seems to be both. I suppose it's in the eye of the beholder, isn't it? Yeah. And in, in an almost perfect example then of life imitating art, The Wolf of Wall Street was, and I'll use the term allegedly, financed by a Malaysian investment fund, of which it's been reported that this investment entity was financed by uh, less than legitimate means. And there was a big hoo-ha about all of that, wasn't there? It was, yeah. They basically stole money from the um, the government of... Malaysia. Malaysia. Yeah, and they yeah. basically had to pay it back, didn't they? Yeah. The, the guy who, whose name's on the credits, he just engineered his way into Hollywood, didn't he, basically? Uh, strong-armed his way in and hit, hit the right places with the right people. Was it, um, was it Riza Aziz? Aziz, that's right. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. He bought Leonardo DiCaprio, Marlon Brando's Godfather Oscar. And when it was revealed what happened with the, 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 the money itself, DiCaprio and everybody involved returned all the money yeah. back to the Malaysian government. They were sold <laughs> they were sold a lie in, in a massive case of irony, isn't it? Life imitating art, art imitating life. Yeah. I mean, you just couldn't write it. Now, the film was paid down from an alleged or an apparent four-hour initial cut to his final runtime of a still pretty mammoth three hours. Now, I don't think I'd ever want to see the four-hour cut of The Wolf of Wall Street because at bang on three hours, the, the version we've got as it is, in my opinion, is pretty much perfect. And for such a long film, it never drags or outstays its welcome. And it maintains that coked-up Goodfellas third-act energy throughout yeah, and it's a film about excess. Yeah. And that extra hour would be an excess too far, I think. I think the first time I sat down to watch this film, I saw the three-hour runtime, I was like, oh, oh. yeah, no. <laughs> not, not knowing 
that it would be far more comedic than it is. Yeah. Yeah, it flew by. It did, yeah. But I, I was expecting yeah. maybe, a, you know, more of the kind of insider trading sort of, you know, this is how Wall Street operates kind of thing. But even Jordan in his narration says, doesn't he, now you don't want to know about that, do you? No, no. And he kind of <laughs> stops himself, <laughs> no, doesn't he? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's yeah, not what yeah. it's about. No. It's no. about uh, the pe- those people it is. This isn't boiler room, is it? Let's no. be honest. No. no. This is Martin Scorsese. Funny enough, you were saying, though, The Big Short is probably a good comparison film with this as well. It is, yeah. And Margot Robbie is in that, of course, as well. Yeah, you yeah. Know, and, and, but that takes the time, comedically sometimes, yeah. to explain yeah. what yeah. happens. And while you're watching it, you understand it. Yeah. Try to explain it afterwards. Anyway, you wouldn't have a clue. Mm. But at no, the time, no. it does make sense, mm. which is you know, the, yeah. the genius of that film. So it was released on Christmas Day 2013. It was made on a budget, as we said, of $100 million and made a worldwide gross of $406 million, making it Scorsese's biggest box office hit of his career so far. It was nominated for five Academy Awards, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Actor for Leo, Best Supporting Actor for Jonah Hill. It got no wins. They were never going to give it to Best Picture, were they? For Not this like one. This? No, you know. No. I'm, I'm sorry. I know McConaughey won for Dallas Buyers. DiCaprio should have won. He should have won. And arguably Jonah should have won. That's a tough one because he was superb in Dallas Buyers Club. Yeah? Yeah. And 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 that that is that is your typical prestige best actor lose a ton of weight to get yeah, it yeah type film yeah. how many times have we seen that looking back like you said I think it was episode two Steve you made the comment of the way the Oscars should be is this year's Oscars should be based on the films of ten years ago because it's only when we've had the mists of time have blown over that you can see which films are the ones that stand the test of time yeah but the flaw in that is ten years later would we give it to Wolf of Wall Street now given the climate we're in now. Yes, possibly not. Yeah. In that regard, I still think it's the social network. I really do. It's between the social network for me, Mad Max Fury Road, The Raid, are the three that sort of automatically stand out if you're doing that type of thing. Well, The Raid was never going to get it. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. But if we, all right, then if we were going to look back at the ones that should win it, whilst I would say, yes, that film should and that film should, and it's always going to be subjective, isn't it? Of course it is. Oh, yeah, yeah. But, Absolutely. But I, I, I do think, in some regards, the the, the academies and the award givers must look back and go, really? That was what we decided? Yeah, we can see that in lots of films. You mean from um, Green Book to Ordinary People? Ordinary People, yeah. Beating Raging Bull? Yeah. Yeah, Ordinary Ordinary People is a great film. It's not Raging Bull. It's not Raging Bull. Yeah, Crash Beat, Brokeback Mountain, was it? Ang Lee won Best Director year, but didn't get Best Picture. I mean... Well, Ridley Scott didn't get Best Director for Gladiator, but Gladiator won Best, best Picture. Film. Mm-hmm. Strange. Spielberg wins Best Director for Saving Private Ryan. Shakespeare in Love wins Best Film. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we yeah. could go on and on and on, couldn't we? Yeah, you know. But uh, all right, then, guys, I got a question for you. This is one that's been brewing in me for a while now. Really, yeah, has Leonardo DiCaprio, mm. the actor of the twenty-first century. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I I just can't think of anyone that's been better. No. I remember the first time I ever saw DiCaprio was in um, Gilbert Grape. Eating Gilbert Grape. Yeah. yeah. And what a fantastic performance that is. Right. Let, yeah. let's, let, let's not forget, guys, that in 1997, he was at the very top of his game in terms of where he was. After Titanic, he could have done anything. Yeah. And the way the guy has kind of shrugged off his pretty boy heartthrob sort of veneer and then he's done stuff like gangs of new york the departed 
Yeah. And he was superb in The Departed. Yeah, I've, I've, yeah. Watched, I've rewatched it recently. And the Aviator. Fantastic the Aviator. performance. Yeah, brilliant yeah. performance. And and then you've got you've got this. He is exceptional. He yeah. is absolutely exceptional in this film. I, I, I think the, the fact that he's working with Scorsese as well is no coincidence yeah. because... He's done five films of them now, hasn't he? Is it five? Yeah, and he's in um, Killers of the Flower yeah. Moon coming up soon. Right. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Again, there's an argument. You 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 said Leighton right that this is his best role. You've also got Once Upon a Time in Hollywood up there. That's that's got to be up there, I think, with in my three you know favorite DiCaprio performances. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree. I wouldn't disagree. It's a tough one, but I I I don't I don't know if there's an actor this century that's been better than Leo and and Leo not consistently been, no no I think and this I I didn't always think like this but my wife has always said that Leonardo DiCaprio is her favorite actor and I thought oh, really. And then, but then I just forget. I, I there's so many of his films that I I've kind of slapped on and then gone back and rewatched and thought, yeah, do you know what? The cumulative effect of seeing him in all of these amazing films, these amazing roles. I think sometimes we um, mix up the the star, don't we? And the performances yeah. we do. And he is a huge star. Do you know what I think as well is he's still still got a boyishness about him. Yeah. And especially if you look at the way he runs, he's gangly, like a teenager almost. Yeah. His physicality sometimes tends to say that he's got a, a, a like a teenager's quality almost, right? Yeah. But I think when you actually look at his bodywork, I mean, I like gangs in New York. I really do like it. But the thing is, in parts of gangs in New York, the film sort of overawes him a little bit. He's nowhere near physical enough, I think, for the film. He should have a lot more brawn about him. Rather than being a wiry type character, he should be able to have a lot more brawn. But you look at a couple of years later, he's in a film like Catch Me If You Can, and he's he's absolutely sensational. Because... Why, why, why did I neglect to bring that one up? Because that's... That again is one of my favorites. It's one of my favorite Spielberg films, and he's it's it, it's sensational, and he is sensational, and Tom Hanks is sensational, and Steven Spielberg's having the time of his life making that film. It's evident. He loves the story. He loves he loves telling it. And DiCaprio, I I don't I gotta be honest, guy. I, there's no one else really. This like Tom Hanks possibly. But 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 Tom Hanks wouldn't do a Jordan Belfort. No. Tom mm-hmm. Hanks wouldn't go and spend a night inside the car, you know, the hollowed out carcass of a of a horse or whatever it no, was. No, no, but the, but this is the thing with Tom Hanks as well. If he's ever playing a bastard, the only one really that sort of leaps out is Road to Perdition. But then no, it was good. No. Uh, and and Bonfire of the Vanities, where he just didn't have the gravitas, no. which I think I think DiCaprio. He was wrong from the off for that anyway, wasn't but he? But I think DiCaprio would have been perfect for that role. Mm. Yeah. Look, I, I love Tom Hanks. Who doesn't? But Tom Hanks is like more like Jimmy Stewart, whereas I think Leo is more like, much like Brad Pitt has been confer- compared to Robert Redford. Robert mm. Redford in his 70s run, where he did so many great films, one after the other, Three Days of the Condor, The Sting. Mm. His his acting ability kind of transcended his, his, his like kind of pretty boy appeal. Yeah, yeah and even yeah. when he, he failed, like in J. Edgar, which yeah. I think that... I mean, he, he was trying, he was yeah, he course. was reaching. I don't think that he it succeeds, yeah. but he does reach. That's that's probably his only miss. Yeah. I can't no, think I right. can't think of any I I don't I can't think of any others because pretty mm. much everything else he's involved with has had either box office acclaim or critical critical acclaim. I mean, Inception, at least we forget, made of over a billion dollars yeah. for an original idea. All right, not original original. 
but it's not based on something that's been published before. It was original screenplay by a director who wanted to tell a massive espionage story in a particular way. So, you know, in that respect, then I would, I, you, you, you're probably onto something with that. And DiCaprio is probably the best actor of his generation. Uh, yeah, 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 I, yeah. I, 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 oh, guys, guys, what the fuck are we talking about? We've just, yeah, you know, I've just mentioned my, th- you know, three of my favorite performances of Leo's. Totally forgot Django. Django, yeah. Oh, wait, <laughs> would, bad like, the, be- the better example wouldn't have been would Tom Hanks do Jordan Belfort? Would he have done Leo's performance in Django? No, never. No, no, never in a million years. He never would he have done it. Not at all. No, Brad. Brad might have, but um... <laughs> <laughs> no, there, there were even like le- uh, lesser films, Body of Lies, Ridley Scott, where he's alongside yeah. Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe puts on about fifty pound in that film, didn't he? Leo mm. dyes his hair black. He puts in brown contacts to you know hide those blue eyes. Yeah. No, he, he was really trying to shake that. You know, Blood Diamond. Mm. That's a good which film. A as well. lot of people you know, mm. really love. But yeah. My God, let's like if I'm gonna say actor of this century, then we're not gonna be able to go back as far as Titanic, are we? Where you could argue that that was the big peak for him, but again, I don't know. In terms of, he really was on top of the world, there wasn't he? Yeah, but then again, I would argue that that's not because of him. That was because of James Cameron. Yeah, but then let's look at his run from 2000 onward. Because the beach, it still comes up in conversation when you're talking about Leo, because he was like the, is that the film he did after Titanic? Yeah, because he wanted to work with he, he yeah. wanted to work with Danny, Danny Boyle, Boyle, didn't he? You, you're that right. was that was that was pure and simple. He wanted to work with Danny Boyle. Look at this run. Add, add to which he got paid twenty million quid yes. for the privilege as well, man, didn't he? Gangs so. of New York, Catch Me If You Can, The Aviator, The Departed, Blood Diamond. Then he's working with Ridley Scott in Body of Lies, Revolutionary Road, Shutter Island, Inception, J. Edgar, which you said, yeah, not particularly great. Django, he's phenomenal. Uh, the Great Gatsby. You know, I haven't seen it. Mm, I've seen it. It's yeah. you know. It's not great. No. <laughs> the, the Wolf of Wall Street, possibly his best film. The Revenant again. Is that the peak of his career? You could argue in terms of a, you know the the kudos thrown at him. And then you've got Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And finally, Don't Look Up. Don't Look Up, which uh, well, hmm, I, I enjoy. I, I enjoy Don't Look Up. I really do. I think he ma- massively missed a trick there. I really do. I, I think the, the the film was going in a direction, and then when it started to get so stupid towards the end, I, I was just like, "Now nah, you've lost me now." I think it should have been stupid like that throughout. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> either, yeah, it should have. I, either a farce or yeah. a, a blatant political satire. It tried to it tried do to too many both, things, yeah. and I think it it did for a lot of people end up being a mess. But anyway, back to the Wolf of Wall Street. Ten years on, guys. Where does The Wolf of Wall Street sit in your list of favourite Martin Scorsese films? Don't do that. Come on. Don't do that. I, I did it before. I did it. It's number five. It's number, number five. five. Yeah. So it's in your top five, right? Yeah, Steve? Yeah, definitely. <sighs> I don't know. Um, okay, we've got uh, Taxi Driver. We've got Goodfellas. We've got The Age of Innocence, which I know you don't like at all. We've got um, <laughs> Silence, which I love as well. <laughs> <laughs> Would be, I'm not sure if it'd be my top five, but that's not an indictment on the film. It's just an illustration of how good Martin yeah. Scorsese is. Well, I think we did the top five, didn't we, on... Was it our Taxi Driver episode? Yeah. It wasn't in my top five then. But it is But now. it is now. My top five now is, in in no particular order, Taxi Driver, Goodfellas Casino, Raging Bull, The King of Comedy, and The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, okay. Don't count how many films are there. Six. Don't count how many films are there. That's my top five. <laughs> hey. Questionable 
So, there we have it, boys and girls. Another Scorsese film giving the Film 89 treatment. We hope you've enjoyed the episode. And if you haven't already subscribed to Film 89, then please do so so you don't miss out on episodes as they drop. Please leave us a positive review on your podcast provider of choice, especially if it's Apple Podcasts. Please check out the website, film89.co.uk, for a wealth of written goodies. Please check out the second part of Martin Castle's huge three-part essay, which dropped last week. The third part will be on its way. The second part was epic. His kind of exploration of the 90th anniversary of 1933's King Kong and the vast legacy of films that came in its wake. Gents, where can people find you if they want to discuss films, television, or if they want your uh, expert tips on the stock market? Um, Twitter, at Welsh Bluesman. That's the best place. Uh, I'll be at the Lollipop Club with Donny, and you can find me on Twitter at Late Winst. And you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at Sky Movies. You can find the rest of the Film 89 team and links to their individual accounts on Twitter at Film 89 UK and the same on Facebook. That's it for now. So until next time, stay safe, be excellent to one another. But before we go, here's a little word from our sponsors. Jordan Belfort said it worked for me because I worked hard for it. And if it doesn't work for you, it's because you're lazy and you should get a job at McDonald's. There's nobody holding you back from financial freedom. And there's nobody stopping you from making millions. Don't just sit at home or the life of your dreams will sail right past you. I changed all these people's lives and I can change yours too. So come to my seminar. The life of your dreams is only... Good to see you again, George. You're under arrest. You gotta be, you gotta be joking. Hey, kidding me now. Hey, hey, get the fuck hey, away from me! Hey, turn that camera off! Hey, hey, don't fucking... I'm fucking shooting a fucking infomercial here, you fucking cocksucker! Fuck you, you fucking camera off! You don't got shit on me, you yeah. Go fuck yourself! I'm making an honest living, you fucking piece of shit! Hey, George, let me give you a little legal advice! Shut the fuck up! Oh, fuck you, you fucking prick! I'm making an honest living! <laughs>